Again, it is a blessing from the Lord that he has enabled us to come together at this place at this time for the purpose of studying his word together. Despite the inclemency of the weather, uh, you still have made your way to this place. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm glad to see each of you here today. I try to always maintain an attitude of gratitude. Uh, I am thankful uh, to God for uh, all of the blessings he has bestowed uh, uh, upon me uh, and my wife. I'm grateful for the hospitality that has been shown. Uh, I am full this evening. As a matter of fact, I was full yesterday evening. And I am more full or even fuller this evening because I was privileged to have a wonderful breakfast this morning. It almost uh, was a brunch uh, and it was delicious. Uh, we were able to uh, spend a good portion of the day uh, with Keith and Lois. They are gracious uh, hosts. Uh, they fed us sumptuously and we had a chance to visit a number of different places. Uh, we even got a chance to go to the cheese factory. Uh, but they uh, really uh, served as excellent hosts today and we're grateful to them. Uh, we enjoyed ourselves immensely. They just fed us too much though. And then this evening, prior to coming here, uh, Don and Maxine Gibson uh, they took us to another special place, uh, serving and specializing in roasted chicken. And uh, I had uh, my share of chicken. Uh, and I'm appreciative, to them, appreciative, appreciative of them and their hospitality as well. It reminds me, Keith, uh, uh, of a preacher who had uh, been invited to come and do a series of lessons similar to these. Uh, he, after preaching on Sunday, was invited to go home with one of the deacons. And of course, uh, the deacon's wife had prepared uh, a sumptuous meal. And while uh, they were sitting there in the living room uh, having conversation. Uh, finally, the wife called and said, dinner is ready. And so the preacher made his way to the table uh, along with the other members of the family. Uh, and uh, as they were sitting there at the table, the deacon had a little son. Uh, and the little son, just as they were preparing to give thanks, uh, said to the preacher, he said, uh, uh, Brother Price, and it's just coincidental that this preacher's name was Price. It had nothing to do with Brad, you know. Uh, he said, Brother Price, do that little animal trick that you always do. 
Uh, and Brother Price was a little baffled and puzzled. He said, animal trick? He said, yeah, do that animal trick you always do, Brother Price. And uh, the deacon was a little uh, irritated with his son. He said, son, don't bother the preacher. We think we're getting ready to eat. Don't worry about no animal trick. What animal trick are you talking about anyway? He said, you know, Dad, uh, you said Brother Price could eat like a pig. And again, I don't even think that price is any kin to this price. <laughs> but I don't know about uh, this price, but uh, sometimes I think I probably do that animal trick myself. Uh, and y'all are not making it easy for me not to do that uh, animal trick, but uh, I've been enjoying myself immensely. Uh, we're going to talk to you tonight uh, on what we had planned to talk to you originally on last night, and uh, additionally, we're going to try to talk to you some tonight on what we had planned to talk to you tonight. So I'm going to try to kind of combine these lessons. Uh, we had planned to talk on last night uh, uh, living close to Brother Jekyll uh, without getting under his hide. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the story by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, understand probably uh, where I'm coming from. Uh, I'm not going to try to go into a long and detailed explanation as to what Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde uh, were all about. Uh, but I do want to point out that, in essence, uh, what uh, Robert Louis Stevenson was trying to convey is that there is a duality uh, in the nature of man. Uh, man has the potential uh, for good and evil. Uh, man often displays his good side, which is represented by uh, Dr. Jekyll. The good side, the respectable side, uh, the virtuous side, the side that is concerned uh, with doing right and with living right. That's the side that is identified with Dr. Jekyll, uh, Dr. Henry. Jekyll and the negative side of man, uh, the side of man that has the propensity uh, to do evil, the side of man that uh, has the tendency uh, to sin, the, the bad side uh, of man, uh, the side of man that tends to rebel uh, against God. Uh, that's the side of man that is represented by uh, Edward Hyde. And of course, uh, Henry Jekyll uh, would go from one to the other. Uh, he would be uh, Dr. Jekyll uh, one while, and he drank a special portion he had concocted, uh, and he'd become Hen uh, Edward Hyde. Now, what I want to suggest to you this evening 
uh, when I say how to live with Brother Jekyll or living with Brother Jekyll without getting under his hide. What I'm actually saying, and really all of us in reality, but we are talking about living with your husband, wives, uh, living with your husbands, and uh, the husband is being represented uh, by uh, Henry Jekyll. And when we talk about getting under his hide or without getting under his hide, living close to your husband without irritating him unnecessarily, without bringing out the worst in him, without unduly and unnecessarily upsetting him. That's what I'm giving reference to. Uh, and of course, this works both ways, but we are focusing on living with Brother Jekyll, your husband. Sisters who are married, if you look at your husband, you're looking at Brother Jekyll. And of course, our question is, how can we live with Brother Jekyll and live close to Brother Jekyll without bringing out the negative side of him, uh, without irritating him and bringing out the worst in him. Anybody like mayonnaise? Or you prefer Miracle Whip? Okay, got some mayonnaise folks here. Uh, but you remember Hellman's Mayo? Anybody remember Hellman's Mayo? Uh, Hellman's Mayo. Uh, they used to have, I don't know if they still have this as their motto or not, but it was bring out the helmets and bring out what? The best. Bring out the helmets and bring out the best. Of course, now uh, I say bring out the miracle whip <laughs> and bring out the best. Sometimes when I go to Chick-fil-A in Hendersonville, uh, I was settled for helmets light mayo, but really uh, a sandwich is not a sandwich unless you got some Miracle Whip on it. Uh, from my perspective, Keith, it's like they say about A1 sauce. I say the same thing about Heinz 57 sauce, that a steak without Heinz 57 sauce is a mistake. <laughs> yes, I love uh, Miracle Whip and 57 sauce. A1 will do. Uh, and maybe we need to have some A1 husbands uh, and some A1 wives. But we want to, I mentioned the Mayo, the Hellmans, because we want to relate to each other in such a way as to bring out the best in each other. We want to be able to be close to each other and interact with each other and communicate with each other in such a fashion that we don't bring out the worst in each other. That we don't, in a manner of speaking, get under Brother Jekyll's high and bring out the negative side of Brother 
Jekyll. Does that make sense? Now, God designed marriage in such a way, in such a fashion, that it really is built on the foundational and fundamental concept of bringing two people together from different backgrounds, from different families, as was indicated in our scripture lesson from Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we started with verse 21. Uh, we recognize that the Lord fashioned woman from one of the ribs of man, and he brought her unto the man. And of course, Adam was a highly intelligent being made in the image of God. He was a very smart, insightful, intelligent being. Uh, and I think that he had been programmed, this is my own personal belief, he'd been programmed with a certain understanding. Uh, he had certain insights. It was almost like when you buy a computer uh, from Dell or from HP or from some other uh, manufacturing company, uh, they come with software preloaded on them. And I think that uh, there was some knowledge and understanding and wisdom uh, that had been preloaded into Adam. I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. Because he was smart enough to classify and to name all of the animals that God had created. So he understood intrinsically, uh, because God enabled him to do so, what marriage should be all about. So he said in verse number 23, uh, after God brought the woman to the man, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then he said in verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. He was to, a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And in a special and wonderful way, they would become one. So a successful marriage, in reality, to a great degree, is determined by the degree to which man leaves his father and mother, his birth family, and joins himself to his wife and cleaves to her. And that word cleave means to, uh, to be glued to her, uh, to be cemented together to her. And I, I like to think, Keith, of uh, husband and wife being stuck together with crazy glue being stuck together. 
so that they are so tightly bonded together with each other that you cannot really break them apart without doing irreparable damage to both of them. In order for a marriage to be all that it should be, in order for marriage to be successful, in order for it to be meaningful, purposeful, uh, fulfilling, and productive as it was designed to be by God, there has to be the prerequisite leaving and the commensurate cleaving in order for there to be joint achieving by a couple that is married to each other. Now, so in as much as you, in God's eyes, in your relationship, you are to cleave together. You are to stick with each other. You are to be closer to your husband, closer to your wife than anybody else in the world. Because you have to live in close proximity to them, not just physically. Of course, we talked about uh, your closest neighbor is your spouse. Your closest neighbor is your wife. Your closest neighbor is your husband. And the thing we need to always keep in mind, as much as we love our children, and my dad taught me this years ago. He said, son, nobody should be allowed to come between you and your wife. And this was many years before I even uh, thought about marriage. I mean, I probably couldn't even spell marriage at that time. But my dad said, your children, your brothers, your sister, your mama, your daddy, nobody should come between a man and his wife or a woman and her husband. One of the serious problems that develops in some relationships is that one or the other of the spouses allows themselves to become closer to their child than to their mate. And this most often happens for various reasons. This most often happens to the wife. Sometimes the wife will divert attention and emotional energy from her husband and direct it toward her children or toward her baby and she ends up becoming closer to the baby than she is to the husband. And of course that's not a good way to live close to Brother Jekyll without getting under his hat. Uh, and of course the child deserves, the child needs that emotional bond with his mother. He needs the emotional bond uh, with his father. Uh, he needs the, the love and uh, the caring and the, 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 the bonding emotionally with both parents. But we must not find ourselves drawing and growing closer and bonding more closely with our children than we do our mates. And a lot of times that happens. Uh, sometimes it develops early on. And the mate that uh, becomes real close to the child, to the neglect of their spouse, uh, never fully recovers from that. But one thing we need to keep in mind, you're going to be 
living in a close relationship to your spouse and with your spouse under ordinary circumstances far longer than you're going to be living in relationship with your child. Now children nowadays don't tend to uh, go ahead and leave home as soon as they used to. Now, a lot of children have it so well at home that they don't want to go nowhere. You know, uh, they just want to stay there. As long as they can stay at home free, mama still cooks for them, still washes for them, and cleans up after them and do for them. And sometimes you find a fella 33 years old still at home with his mama. Then we have some folks that are boomerang folk, boomerang children. Y'all heard of boomerang children? Uh, you take them and you throw them out. They go out there in the world and try to make it on their own. They spin around for a while and it's real tough out there. Then they spin and they come right on back home. You try to work something out for them, you throw them out there again. They go out there and spin around and spin around for a while and they come right back to you. But ordinarily, in healthy families, uh, most children, they want to be on their own. Uh, they want to move from a position of dependency. Uh, we think about a child born into the world. Some of you have little children, some of you have grandchildren that are little children, uh, even some infants. Uh, and when an infant comes into the world, totally dependent upon his mother and his father, there's no way a baby can take care of himself or herself. It just cannot be done. So in that particular state, they are dependent upon the parents. But now they're not going to stay in that particular state. They're going to move from a state of dependency uh, to gradually uh, a state of independency, of independence. They're going to gradually be able to do some things on their own. You know, you have to uh, carry them from place to place. You have to feed them. You have to change them. You have to bathe them. Uh, you have to uh, uh, clothe them. Uh, look out for every aspect of their well-being. Uh, they're unable to walk. They're unable to talk. So you have to do everything for them. So they're in a state of dependency. In a state of dependency. But now they're not going to stay uh, in that state. They're going to gradually get up and they're going to start uh, standing up and then they'll take a few steps. They'll start walking. You have to monitor their, uh, their activities and be very careful with them. Uh, they're going to reach the uh, point uh, where they can walk and run and you still have to. They're not independent yet, but they're moving toward independence. Uh, and eventually they're going to reach a state where they are pretty much independent. And what uh, part of parenting is all about is to help that child from a state of dependency to a state of independency where he's ready to, to leave eventually his father and mother and to cleave to his wife. Now people talk about uh, some uh, young men being tied to their mama's apron string uh, and some young ladies are tied to their mama's apron string uh, and some young ladies are tied to their daddy's purse strings. Uh, and that has to be dealt with. Uh, there was a young man 
uh, went to this father of his sweetheart and asked for a hand in marriage. He said, sir, I'd like to ask for your lovely daughter's hand in marriage. And the father said to him, he said, son, you can have it long as you be sure to take the hand that's always in my pocket. <laughs> and I think I can relate to him. Most of us can. Uh, another father of a beautiful young lady whose suitor was seeking her hand in marriage, uh, the, the father said to the young man, he said, son, uh, can you take care of a family? Uh, he said, well, sir, <clears throat> I can take care of your daughter. The rest of y'all have to fend for yourselves. <laughs> and I don't blame him. But, but, but when a young man reaches that stage, he needs to be able to meaningfully cut the ties that bind him emotionally to his parents. And he is to uh, formulate a new relationship and cleave to his bride. And she is to do the same thing, to, to leave her family as well and to stick like glue to her husband. And you're going to be close in that relationship. I've got to tell this, Keith. I've got to use this uh, if, if I can remember some of the details. But when that son got ready to get married, is that correct? Uh, here's something Sister Lois did. Very creative. Yes, yeah, she's a very creative lady. But she got a tie box, a box in which these kind of ties come. Uh, and she was going to present a gift, was it, to her daughter-in-law. And you know what she did? She got an apron. And she cut off, you know, the strings that tie the apron around your body. She cut off those strings. Is that right? And she folded them up nicely. That's correct, in the lowest. And put them in that tie box. You wrapped it up real nice, didn't you? And she gave it to her future daughter-in-law. And the message she was sending was, you have him now. He is yours. He is signed. He's sealed and delivered. He's yours. I'm sending the apron string with him. I don't want him back. <laughs> is that right? She wanted him to cleave to that girl and to live close to him, hopefully, without getting under his eye. And I think if I've been listening closely and correctly that uh, she's been pretty successful uh, in helping to bring out the best in him rather than bringing out the beast in him. He hasn't come back home. <laughs> he hasn't come back home. <laughs> so he's definitely not a boomeranger. Yeah, I understand he's a successful uh, young man, and we can appreciate that. But how can a wife uh, live close to her husband and have a close relationship with him without irritating him unduly, uh, without bringing out the worst in him, without bringing out the beast in him? How can she bring out the best and not bring out the beast in him? In other words, how can she live close to Brother Jekyll without getting under his hide. Well, one way she can, one way she can, and I want to, uh, to emphasize this, one way she definitely can is simply by following uh, the scripture. Simply by following uh, the scripture. Over in Ephesians 
chapter 5 and verse number 33. And I want to read that from the Amplified Version. Uh, let me look at the New King James here first. Y'all brought your Bibles with you, didn't you? Uh, I'm trying my best to uh, make sense of all of this. In verse 33, Paul says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects or that she reverences her husband. Now it reads uh, like this in the, the Amplified uh, Bible. However, let each man of you without exception love his wife as in a sense his very own self. Let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband that she notices him, that she regards him, that she honors him, that she prefers him, venerates and esteems him, that she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. Now somebody might say, wait a minute, wait just We'd say in the country, Brad, one cotton-picking minute. You mean I have to regard my husband this way? Uh, that I have to respect him? I have to reverence him? I need to notice him and give him special attention? I need to regard him? I need to honor him? I need to prefer him? I need to venerate him? I need to esteem him. I need to defer to him. I need to praise him. I need to love him. I need to admire him exceedingly. Yes, ma'am. And I will tell you this. When we relate to him in this fashion, it is a wonderful investment in the future happiness of your marriage and the future success and future vitality of your relationship. Because remember, you are married to a man who loves you like Christ loves the church and who loves you like he loves himself, like he loves his own body. So you're not married to a tyrant. Uh, you're not married to one who is a boss. You're not married uh, to one who's given to fits of rage, one who is insensitive and selfish. You're married to a man who loves you and cares for you. Now, I know in a lot of cases that might not be true. But I, I'm convinced, I'm persuaded that in your cases, it is true. But regardless, that is the way God expects wives to relate to their husbands. And if you relate to him that way, I guarantee you, guarantee you, that you'll be able to live close to him and help bring out the best in him rather than bringing out the beast in him. And I know it's not necessarily 
easy to do, but it's something that can be done. One of the worst ways by which we can bring out the beast in a husband, ladies, is with our tongues. We can irritate, we can get under a person's skin or as it were under his hide by nagging, by nagging. Uh, and I know sometimes it's, you get very frustrated uh, sometimes you wonder if you're going to be able to motivate him or to encourage him to do some things you want him to do, but nagging is not the way to do it. Peck Gunn, the late Peck Gunn, former Port Laureate of Tennessee, he wrote a book called Tumbling Creek Tales. And in this book, he tells the story about how when he goes to a restaurant to have his meal, when he's out of town, Brad and his wife is not with him, he'll place his order, and the waitress will bring his order to him, and then she'll ask him, Mr. Gunn, is there anything else I can do for you? And just for the fun of it, he had said to her, much to her surprise, sometimes, sit down and nag me, make me feel at home. <laughs> so I've done that a few times when I go to Cracker Barrel. When the waitress brings my food, you know, she says, anything else I can do for you? So I say, yes, yeah, sit down and nag me and make me feel at home. <laughs> it always elicits a laugh, but at Hendersonville, they have a new uh, Cracker Barrel there. I told a young lady that, and uh, after she brought my food, she sat down. She said, you make sure that you eat all of this food here. And she started nagging. I said, man, you must have had some practice. <laughs> I said, you are good at this, girl. <laughs> uh, but we say that in jest, and by no means do I mean to intimate or indicate or even remotely suggest that my wife is a nagger. <laughs> Somebody said, Brian, that if a husband has horse sense enough to treat his wife like a thoroughbred, she'll never turn into an old nag. I think that has some value and some relevance. If you have horse sense enough, husbands, to treat your wife like a thoroughbred, she'll never turn into an old nag. Uh, I understand, and Keith and I were talking about uh, very valuable racehorses, uh, especially those that are used as stud horses. They, they cost some money. Uh, they, they're very valuable. Uh, and those who, uh, uh, females of village, you know, uh, they are very valuable, millions of dollars. They take excellent care of those horses. I mean, they take as good a care of those horses as they do themselves and as they do their children. They make sure that they have everything that they need because they have a tremendous financial investment in those horses. Now, if a man's gonna feel that way about his horse, 
or a woman's going to feel that way about her horse, uh, how should she feel about her husband? How much should she value her husband? How much should a husband value his wife? There are some things we need to know about speech. We have to be careful what we say, when we say it, how we say it, where we say it. Uh, we are just prone as people in general to speak sometimes when we shouldn't speak, to speak sometimes when we should be silent. Somebody has said, if you your lips would keep from slips, Five things observe with care. To whom you speak, of whom you speak, and how, and when, and where. You know, sometimes people get this notion that, well, I, I told him the truth. Yeah, I, I told him it was the truth. Uh, I didn't lie when I talked to him. I told him just like it was. I didn't bite my tongue. I told him the truth. But it's not just important what you say or what you tell, it is just as important or possibly even more important how you say what you say. That's why Paul in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one or every man. Not just what, but how you do it. The tongue can cause irreparable damage to relationships. And so we need to be very careful how we communicate with each other. If you want to be able to live close to Brother Jekyll without getting under his hide, you must be careful how you communicate with him. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse number 25. And we're going to read uh, the following verses. I'm reading from the New King James in this instance. Uh, verse number 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Give the devil no place at your place. And skipping on down, verse number 29. Let no corrupt word or no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So what he is saying is speak in such a way as to bless, speak in such a way as to build up, speak in such a way as to edify. Make sure that you speak in such a way as to impart grace to the hearer. If you speak in that way, in a way that is edifying, that builds up, that imparts grace, that brings out the best rather than the beast, 
it would facilitate living close to Brother Jekyll without getting under his high. And then in verse number 30 he says, and grieve not or do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And I think when, when we do a number of things that are prohibited or proscribed by this passage in its context, we grieve, we upset, we break the heart of the Holy Spirit when we lie to one another, we break the Holy Spirit's heart. When we sin in our anger or allow our anger to smolder within our hearts, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When we give place to the devil, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. When corrupt negative, unwholesome communication proceed out of our mouths, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31 says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. When we harbor bitterness in the reservoir of our hearts, wrath, anger, clamor, when we engage in evil speaking, when we have malice in our hearts, it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And it hinders, sabotages, and undermines our ability to live close to our mates without getting under their eyes. We tend when we neglect the injunctions and admonitions that are given in this passage, uh, we tend to bring out the beast in the other rather than bringing out the best. When it comes to speaking, and I see my time is about gone, when it comes to speaking, we need to always be reminded of our Miranda rights. I like to say to people in general, wives and husbands in particular, remember, you have a right to remain silent. What you say can and will be used against you. If you are not careful, it will be used against you in a court of law. And I'm not talking about our local courts, uh, but I'm talking about uh, the court of the high heaven, uh, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord. Uh, we need to be careful about what we speak and how we speak. Uh, we do have the right to remain silent, and sometimes it's just best to be quiet. It's just best to hush and kind of get yourself together. If you're about to have an argument with your, with your mate, uh, the one that has the most sense should just leave the room. 
you know, a lot of times I leave the room. <laughs> now, we have grown a lot in our relationship. Don't take that uh, seriously, Sharon. She knows me. She says, I know you. I've been knowing you for 32 years. <laughs> but, uh, but we need to, to sometimes just make sure that we, that we, that we be quiet. Uh, and you can pray during that period of time. And I, I trust that we can learn to practice the best way uh, of communication. Uh, our time uh, is gone, uh, but we can, we can practice the best way of communication. Uh, by your communication, bless your mate. That's, uh, we're talking about the best way, B-E-S-T. By your communication, bless your mate. By your communication, as we've already indicated from Ephesians chapter 4, edify your mate. If you want to get under the old boy's height, bless him with your tongue. Edify him, build him up. Show him that you respect him, show him that you, that you love him, show him that you admire him. And you ought to because you're the one who, chose, who picked him out. You chose him. So I hope he has something on the ball. Bless him as you communicate with him. Edify him, encourage him, build him up, strengthen him, console him, comfort him, love him by the words that you speak. And be willing to share with him to open up your heart and share with him because you trust him. Share with him. Share with him as you're communicating with him. Bless him, edify him, share with him. You know, sometimes people feel like, I have to have somebody I can talk to, somebody I can trust, somebody I can, uh, can, can just open up and, and, and tell uh, everything to. What better person than your husband? Some people say, well, uh, child, my, my best friend is, uh, is sister so-and-so. And, and I don't mind you having a good friend. But if you're married, this is, this is Brother Jones talking. And I think the scriptures bear me, uh, back me up. If you're married, your best friend ought to be your spouse. Your best friend ought to be your mate. That's not always the case. Sometimes mates are alienated from each other and hardly ever communicate with each other. Communication can be a complicated and a challenging process, but we can all learn how to do it. We can learn how to communicate more effectively. And a great part of communicating effectively is learning to listen. Husbands, wives, especially need to be listened to. And I'm not downplaying the importance of, of wives listening to their husbands as well. Let every man be slow to speak, slow to anger, 
but quick to hear, quick to listen. Somebody said the Lord has given us two ears and just one mouth, signifying that maybe we ought to listen at least twice as much as we talk. But a lot of us don't want to listen. We are so busy talking. We're so busy trying to make our point that we fail to really pay close attention to what is being said by the other person. Children feel this way sometimes. They feel like uh, mama just won't listen. Uh, Daddy just won't listen. And sometimes parents feel like that girl just will not listen to anything I have to say, but it is a two-way street. And we need to listen to each other and treat each other with love and consideration and with respect in using the best way of communication, bless by your speech, edify by your speech, and share, disclose with your speech. And then with husbands and wives especially, it's good while they're talking to each other. I like to encourage husbands and wives to face each other. You look at him. <laughs> to each other, but when you hold each other's hands and you're all say also together, praying, communicating with God, and, 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 and talking out loud, uh, telling God uh, what you want and thanking God for your mate and for each other, acknowledging the problems and the, the difficulties and the challenges that you're facing, acknowledging your shortcomings and your weaknesses, your, your flaws, acknowledging that we are feeble, that we are flawed, that we are frail, that we are fragile and prone to fall and faulty. And being honest and open with each other and helping to create an atmosphere in which uh, we can be comfortable with each other and have the assurance that uh, we're going to accept each other and help each other and never attack each other. These are ways by which we can live close, Brother Jekyll, without getting under his heart. The best way of communication, following that, will help. Bless, edify, share, and touch. Try. I believe you'll like it. I believe it will help. 
if you're here, and you might have a good and close relationship with your mate, with your wife, with your husband. I trust that you also have a good and close relationship with your God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's wonderful to have a good relationship with each other as husband and wife, but it is even more wonderful, more necessary, more beneficial to have a great relationship with God. If you stand a guilty distance from him this evening, you don't have to remain in that unfortunate and unenviable position. You don't have to be estranged from God. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who died on the cross of Calvary sacrificing his life, shedding his blood for you and for me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's made our salvation possible. He's made it possible for us not only to be saved, but to have positive, fulfilling, meaningful, fruitful, productive, and happy and purposeful lives in our marriages and in our homes and in our families. If you're not a Christian, you're not a member of the body of Christ, why not become one tonight? Take advantage of the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, his burial and his resurrection for our salvation. Believe that good news with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess your faith, and then submit to baptism in water for the remission of your sins. And you can arise from that watery grave knowing, not having to doubt, not having to wonder, knowing that your sins have been washed away, knowing that you've been born again, knowing that you are part of the church for which Jesus died and purchased with his own blood, knowing that you're ready now to walk in the newness of life, knowing that your past has been cleared up, and you're brand new. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then you can make your marriage new as well. And you can, like the Ethiopian nobleman of old, go on your way rejoicing. The Lord will help you every step of the way. If we'll follow his guidelines, if we'll follow his blueprint for marriage and the family, our marriages cannot only survive, but our marriages can thrive. I know it. I know it. If you're here and you're already a child of God but have fallen by the wayside and want to renew your relationship with the Lord, you can do that too through repentance, confession, and prayer. If you're here and you are in either position or situation and need to come, we urge you to do it now as we together stand and as we sing.